Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm an interviewer, journalist and broadcaster. And for the first decade of this century, I did for the Irish radio station RT Radio 1 a music series titled Under the Influence. Sadly, that title was subsequently used for a similar MTV show. So now, after revisiting the master tapes of those old interviews, I've decided to turn the best into a podcast series called The Music That Made Me. I may even add the subtitle, Made Me Want to Make Music. Either way, what follows is one of those shows, minus music, which for copyright reasons I can't include. Some of the full shows and many of my other radio programs are available on Mixcloud.com. And if you want to read any articles that arose out of these interviews, you can check out JoeJacksonInterviewer.com. Enjoy the show. Okay, David Gray, we're in your home here in London. Now you said you want to talk about Van Morrison and not Mr. Dylan. You also once told me that Dylan was a key influence in the beginning. And the first time you encountered songs like that on your daddy's record player was basically where it started for you. Yeah, I, th I think it probably was. It was at the same time as I was getting into um, music, madness, the specials. That was all going on for me. But when I heard Dylan the first time, it really literally blew me away. I was staggered by it. Especially the more acoustic things. I mean, Blonde on Blonde is a bit more, more of an acquired taste. I don't think I appreciated that till I was a bit older. All right. But um, his, his um, solo stuff, just uh, that was riveting. Just that someone could do so much with an inflection of his voice and obviously his lyrics and the, the simplicity of the whole thing. Right. I think sometimes when you take everything else away, you end up with more. And that's definitely the case with his, his early recordings. But you also told me you liked the soundscapes he created with a band, like the mix and the collisions of sounds and all that, that that was something else that appealed to you. Yeah, I mean, as, as I sort of grew and my record collection got bigger and I listened to the, the Dylan Blonde on Blonde record, his Blood on the Track stuff, yeah. the Highway 61, all that stuff, basically pick any of his records between you know, 1962 and 1976 or whatever. They were all brilliant, most of, most of them. Uh, but yeah, it was like chaos with Dylan. I think he liked the sort of chaos. Um, I've heard that he never went beyond the sort of the third take. If it didn't happen by then, the, that song was off the right. album kind right, of thing. Right. And you can hear musicians going all over the place. and they don't really, Trying to keep up with Bob. They don't really overdub either. There's a bass player getting it wrong here and a right. pianist cocking it up there. I lo but I just love the chaos of it and the harmonica and the... But it's, but it's apparently, I talked to Daniel Lenoir about uh, producing the last album, and they do use the phrase sound painter, that Dylan wants to evoke a sound painting in your brain, and there's a report where he said to Robbie Robertson, I want an image of a cat coming over a hill in the sunlight with a red gown on, get me that on guitar. And I do think he comes from that kind of painterly aspect, and that would be an influence in you, I mean, the paint, your interest in painting. He's good at saying all that. Oh, well, I know, or critics are playing it years later. But you are interested in, in painting. I mean, was, was there a time you were torn between, will it be singer-songwriter or will I do the visual arts? Yeah, there definitely was. They were just two things that I loved. And... Um, um, painting, you, can, you just get on with it yourself. It's in a way I got further with that first. Um, right. Music's taken a lot longer to get my head around, playing with a band, all the complexities of recording, right. etc. Right. Whereas paintings are very direct. You go out there with your piece of paper or your canvas and you just give it what for and then you are. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a sort of one-on-one -on -one with, with nature or whatever. And what kind of canvases do you do? Are they expressionist? Are they kind they're, of literal? They're, um, pictorial? They're, um, they're like sort of very painterly, 
like I like throwing the paint around, but it's it's basically it's not abstract. It's right. um, it's, it's landscape mainly that I'm into. But okay. I just like going out there and letting rip. Basically, it doesn't have to be exactly what I'm looking at. It's more. Uh, I don't know, the way I feel when I'm out there and it might start raining or the wind might start blowing or whatever, the clouds all start forming. That may, might make me want right, to freak right. out in some painty kind of way. But I haven't done it really for five or six years. Okay, and there's no, there's no point in us showing the listeners one of your paintings. It's from here. Uh, oh, yeah, here here's one I prepared earlier. <laughs> one I, one I cooked earlier. Okay, so the, one, the person you wanted to talk about though was more, is, is more Van Morrison. I mean, and Astral Weeks, why that album? And I know I saw in one article about you, it said, don't get him started talking about Astral Week unless you've got two hours to spare. <laughs> why, is, why is it such an obsession with you, or what is it about that? Um, well, again, rolling on from the, sort of the chaos that I find running riot in Dylan's best stuff, where it's more like an accident of so many brilliant things and the right people at the right time in the studio, just having a good time. I think the same thing with that record, Astral Weeks, when I first heard it, I don't know how old it was, like 20 or something, um, I didn't get it. It all sounded the same to me. I just thought, God, this is weird. You know, like, is this Van Morrison? I've heard so much about it. It was like... Um, but with time, I, after I think I got into Into the Mystic, it sort of led me into him. And then when I came back to that record, I just became addicted to it. And again, it's, it's this weird fabric that they wove. I don't think Van designed it so. I think it was an accident of... Again, the right people in the right place. They apparently made it very quickly in a few days. And you can hear when you listen on the headphones, the crazy sort of overdubs and people just being sort of flown in the fader <laughs> movements and stuff. It's all mad, but absolutely brilliant. I mean, there's, there's nothing better than the sort of warts and all recording process that, the way it used to be. Okay, if you wanted to let people hear an example of what you've just been talking about, which track would you play from? I'd probably play uh, Ballerina. I like that one. Okay. I'll stick that one. We can kind of trim here, can't we? Yeah. Great stuff. This is this okay? Let me join it. Yeah, it's alright. Okay. So this here we are, ballerina. Come on, baby. Come on, Van. Don't let me down. Oh, I've got it all turned right there. Okay, what do you hear there when you listen to that again, even now all these years later? Oh my God, his voice, man. Jesus, what a, what a thing. What about what, it, what, what, what in the voice? What, what, what a mystery there is there, I don't know. It's like, the whole thing about it, well, what's he singing about anyway after right. time? This spontaneous, almost Joycean sort of word connection that is going on. I don't know what he was reading, I don't know where he was at. But um, the sort of spirituality of the whole thing as well. That, I don't know, he was obviously on some big, big trip, but... It was just the height of inspiration. I don't know any record. Well, I do. I know, I know other records. The Blonde on Blonde, Miles Davis kind of blue culture. They're all, all these records, they're a moment of inspiration. But this particular one is such a crazy collection of... I mean, that one's not as mad as some of the other things where there's flutes going off you and there's saxes coming in there and a horn section and a string section and a this and a that. And mad bass playing all the way through. Um, but Van just holds it together all the time. I did hear someone told me that, uh, that he didn't have everyone else in his cans because it was driving him nuts. <laughs> so he could just hear his, himself and his guitar kind of thing, maybe okay. the drummer or something. And he just basically did the song while all this was going went on around, around him. All right. but whatever, however they did it, it just, um, oh, it just lifts me up. I, I don't know. I, 
I don't. I still don't understand the record. It's fantastic. But I've listened to it so many times. This kind of absolutely Van. He doesn't talk much about work like that. But he's talked about Slim Slow Rider and says it was like the terror of someone caught up in the big city and on dope. There's a dark underbelly to some of the songs too, oh, isn't there? Oh, when you strip God, down yeah. the spirituality, there's a hunger. Oh yeah. And Cypress Avenue is a hunger to go back to a place, which was a place he went to as a kid where he sought refuge from his family home or whatever. So isn't that an ache at the centre of the oh, album too? Ache. I mean, Van, Van, Van's voice is an ache. All right. That's what's so addictive about it. You step it, he can sort of sing a cliche at his best and... You can hear so much more in it, you know, I don't know. You take a line that sounds a bit corny and sing it out for you. And like any great singers, Nina Simone, whatever, you know, Billie Holiday. Wow, you, you feel right. that you're living someone's right. emotions with them. It's like, that's it, he's got that, I don't know. That's it, Van is the voice, isn't it? No, but there are the great voices that turn banality, potential banality into poetry, with just the use of that so he voice. He was singing poetry on this particular album. It blows me away. And does it not? The, the, one, the one track... Um, Beside me, or, or beside you, uh, the dynamo of your smile caressed the barefoot virgin child to wander through the window with a lantern lit, or whatever. It just goes on and on. Some of the craziest, most gorgeous imagery right, just thrown right. together. And I think the bravery to attempt something like that—it's a jazz. It's, it's a lyrical jazz that he was going for. He was really pushing the boat out here. Because yeah. when you listen to him previous to this, he's still sort of hooked on that kind of rhythm and blues style. It's all a bit boring actually you can feel he's getting frustrated he's got so much more to say and he certainly said it on this record and I think on St Dominic's preview as well he really cut loose on some of the tracks on the St Dominic's preview itself that. so you like that kind of impressionist lyric that doesn't state or overstate it brings you into a world of its own Yeah, yeah. on that album I, when it's done well it's yeah. fantastic because yeah. Van doesn't wallow in stuff he doesn't you don't feel it's too sweet. He never adds the saccharin. He keeps it nice and nasty. You know what I mean? He's, I think he's a mess. Obviously, emotionally, I think he lives in a, in pain, and and that that keeps it sober. It's like there's always a sober edge. He doesn't get so into himself that it's an indulgent load of waffle, right. which I think is a danger when you go down right. down that kind of avenue. The one that right. he opened up really right. with right. this this kind of music. But he doesn't go there. He keeps it. Keeps it there. But that said, there are those who say, as you first thought when they hear Astral Week still, that it is samey and the songs are long and they are self indulgent. Well, they are, you can say all those things about them and they're true. Right. But um, <laughs> it, you're, it's like a certain kind of food, you know, people who like prawns or something, I don't know. Uh, you know, you either like it, you either like it or you don't. It's an acquired taste, I think that's the thing about Astral Weeks. It's not everyone's cup okay. of tea. All right, let's hear another prawn. Let's hear another prawn. Okay. What's Master Weeks? Okay. Yeah, yeah, play. Would, would you, again. Can I, can I play, um, yeah. Madam George or something? Whatever. I don't um, mind. I'll play, um. No, the mood of the other one, whatever. I'll play this one, which is just outrageous. It's, All right. It knocks me over this. The power is. Come on, man. Oh, yeah, I've turned it down again. Get some of the Okay, that's incredibly joyful, isn't it? Like listening to it here on a summer's afternoon with your back door open, it sounds as fresh as anything as it ever did. Sounds yeah. beautiful. Oh, it's brilliant. What can you, I say? You were kind of semi-orchestrating it there with hand <laughs> gestures. But it is, he still has the touch of pop, the touch of rhythm and blues, the brass comes yeah. in on top of the oh, jazz yeah, no, and stuff. He keeps it there. I mean, that, that holds it together because when yeah. you actually listen, the thing about it is that the, the more I do music, um, the more I start noticing the records I've always loved, I'll notice something about it that I've never heard before. And I, every time I listen to this record, I notice something. Um, 
and like, just just listening to the bass player again there going right. off and right. it's all, he's all over the place he just he's like he's crying whatever <laughs> I can't imagine like actually he's probably still playing over yeah, there I think he is I think he stopped <laughs> that was the end of his career they just they, just just him in. they just pushed him out of the room at the end of the song so I don't think they could stop him <laughs> but you were t- you mentioned there also in the la- when I talked to you like in the mid 90s you said you were listening to people like Miles Davis yeah. who again do all it's not just the spiritual dimension be a Coltrane or kind of blue or whatever it is that improvisatory feel and that kind of uh, wide canvas that kind of looseness at itself oh, just freshness like any music it's just got to be raw and fresh polished finesse all those that, that's just not important it's that ah it's letting the light in it's opening the, the, the window and but you have to keep the jagged edges there don't you yeah oh yeah oh absolutely because like you say raw Right, but you you said to me too last last time that you uh, feel the fans' later albums were choked by professionalism, that some of the more recent works, yeah. and, and you said to me, I hope that never happens to me. Well, he's sort of stuck in a rut a bit. Um, right. But when Christ, he's made so many records, it's like, it's time for someone else to do the dirty work. All right, you know what I mean? all right. But do you, have you ever felt in any of the albums subsequent to when I talked to you, which was probably 94, that you were in danger of becoming too slick yourself? Uh, I don't think that's ever been a problem. All right, I don't know. I needed to get a bit of slickness. <laughs> I was like listening to my old records. It's like some madman let loose in the studio. I can't believe it. You're still playing your Astral Weeks vibe. <laughs> You're the bass player running riot. Okay, so the ne- you want to talk also about uh, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen Bruce Springsteen. Again, Nebraska. That, that Brucey. Yeah, um, Springsteen is like I was given the Nebraska album when I was about 17 um, and I loved it. I loved it. I had it on tape and then I lost it whenever in my travels to college or whatever. I'd forgot about it kind of thing until three or four years ago when uh, Donald uh, Deneen reminded me about it and I went straight out and, and bought it. And I haven't stopped listening to it since. Um, like Pink Moon by Nick Drake, which is another one I got hooked on. Right. This record, again, it's so stark and simple um, and yet uh, just full of the most fantastic things. Um, I'm not really taking <laughs> explaining it very <laughs> it's well. It's okay. Do you want to play something? Are yeah. Sh- I'll, I'll show play, us why. What would have? Uh, do you want to play a guitar or do you want to play a track? I'll play a tra- I'll play a track from the record. Okay. And then um, maybe I'll have a little bit of a strum. Okay. All right. This is. Well, I think that the uh, the the harmonica sound on this record is it's the most lonesome harmonica I've ever heard. Uh, I don't know which track to play, there's so many good ones. Okay. I'll, I'll play this, which is probably one of my favourites. This is called Mansion on the Hill. Okay, you did say, I saw a quote about by you recently where you said there's a huge magic mystery at the heart of America and that's expressed best in that one man and his guitar stuff. It just aches. Again, the ache in his voice is very evident. Oh, and, and the God. pain and loneliness. God, it's a fantastic record, that. Um, but uh, it's desolate. Yeah, it is. It's, it's full of that particular track. Is, there's a sense of the unattainable all, all the way through the record. There's people striving for things that they can't quite get their hands on, just aren't meant to be. They're sort of stuck in their lives. They have fixed stars and fixed fates. That's almost like an image that Springsteen returns to a lot. You, he gives you that character all the time who's down on his luck kind of thing. Um, but up, it's not, not really by his own doing, just by the person that he is with the heart wanting to live but surrounded by whatever he works in a steel mill or 
of a steel mill, <laughs> of a factory or whatever, and he's trying to get out, he just wants some freedom in doing so, ends up in trouble with the law or with a broken heart or whatever. That he's always playing with that storyline. Right, okay. Um, and uh, he does so again and again, but this particular record, a lot of it is, I, I sense, very, very personal to him. I think he was making a real statement. This is wonder of, the wonder that you have when you're a child is in the songs. But I, you see some of the images through a child's eyes presented there in that particular song. And, and he uses that a lot in this record as well. He goes back into his childhood. There's a really desolate song about going to his father's old house in a dream. That um, you, you can almost hear him, his voice quavering. I think that there's a real ghosts um, at, at the fore of the whole thing. So um, well, we hear, I'm, I'm trying to explain. Will we, hear, will we hear a little of that then? No, but the part, the part of don't worry about like not being able to articulate, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter. That's what the songs are about too. What track is it? One, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four. Johnny Cash covered these two, didn't he? Did Johnny 99, Highway Patrolman? Yeah, Highway Patrolman. Okay, you, 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 I mean, from what I know, the last time I did my little panel on you in the Irish Times interview, I said you were recently happily married. You have often talked since then of having this fascination with the despondence of American folk music and the dark heart of it. Are you a closet manic depressive or something, David? Why do you love that stuff? I mean, that is des a desolate landscape. Yeah. What do you identify with in that? The, the, this attaining for something beyond your reach? Yeah. He's back. <laughs> Will I get the end of the last question again? Yeah, yeah. Um, All right. So you, you mentioned earlier when you were describing one of the songs as this attainable hunger, uh, uh, striving for something that's unattainable. I mean, is that what you identify with? Or why do you like these desolate songs when you seem to be, and of late, a very successfully happy man? <laughs> what is it about the songs that you, you hook into? But, um, I don't know. I mean, Christ, you don't sort of wander through your days dwelling on the darkest, deepest things, uh, try and live life to the full. Uh, drink it all in, have a good time. But um, when I'm left alone with music or whatever, these are the the, the things that touch me the deepest. I th I feel like they go deeper than you know. Pop mo music doesn't have to go too deep to be successful to be good pop music. Um, I wouldn't really call this pop music, no. I suppose. But um, well, that's like folk music. But still, there's a pop singer's art. Still, even in, on, on Astral Weeks and on this record, Springsteen shows his craft again and again. He knows how to make a song to hook you in, and he uses that you know, with great skill. Uh, his delivery and his, his, the way he arranges is always clever. Right. He does things in a slightly unpredictable way, Springsteen. I love it. Like There's a song on Tom Joad, and he, instead of, what was it called? Uh, Highway 29 or something. It sounds like a okay. Instead of finishing with the chorus, he, he, he finishes with the verse. You think he's going to go back to the chorus, but he just doesn't go there. And he leaves you hanging okay. with a fantastic last line or whatever. Um, anyway, he's, he shows great craft. I, I don't know. I, but it's not those technical aspects it, no, that no, you, you tune into. No, I've noticed all them I mean, yeah. through getting to know the record so yeah. well. But um, it... it I don't know, it just... But I'm wrong, to have, if I'm wrong to have this image of you sitting, weeping silently in the room, <laughs> listening to Bruce Springsteen once a month to just let it all out. <laughs> it, it, it does make me cry every now and again. All right. I what? think, I think uh, there's, there's such... With, just with wonder, almost... All music's there for it is to make a connection. Anything, art, music, is to make a connection, to open a door and you go through. You go through into your own feelings and your own experiences. 
it makes them real for you. But within music, can do that. It can right. it can let you get just I don't know move through to the other side. It can take you through to another place, um, a more elemental sort of environment where death plays its part. Singing, I think, to sing properly, you you've got to be there's a there's death in your voice your, your your being is resonating and inside every being is the knowledge that it, it will not be at some point i don't know maybe i'm being no, no, profound okay. i generally right. feel away from such profundity but um no but you mentioned joyce and he said that you know the the awareness of death makes for a most voluptuous form of living that you are if you are in touch with that you will live every moment yeah and if you sing from that level and, and you have told me this about the way your fans respond to your songs I think there was a case you once told me about someone saying that a song uh, pulled her back from suicide or thoughts of suicide. So if you are resonating at that level, surely let's all go there if it helps people. Yeah, well, I think it's where you've got to get to. You know, it's a, it's a very, it's a, perhaps on these records, they're particularly raw or right. particularly inspired in the case of Astral Weeks. A moment of total, it's a, sort of a joy that just courses through that record along with all the sadness, sorrow, like you said, the dark sort of undertow of certain. Mm -hmm. it, 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 there's a joy, just a joy of being alive. He's in the moment, just so 100% in the moment uh, for three days, or however long he was singing that record. He's in the moment, just blazing, and that voice is like a flame. Um, but this is more muted, perhaps more, more muted colours. This is black and white as opposed to colour. Yeah. But still, yeah. you know, yeah. these are brilliant photographs if you want to, to carry that image on. All right. The, the Springsteen, oh, fantastic. they just knocked me dead, these things. Hi, Joe Jackson here again. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. More can be heard, as I said, at joejacksoninterviewer.com.